This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. And I'm Sam Abul Samet from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lin from Rebecca Drives. So welcome back after the holiday celebration. However you celebrated, we're we're back. Um sleeping off the post holiday hangover and, and whatever else <laughs> happened, reading a good book, whatever. Um so welcome. We're gonna I've still got the same cars, so I can't really talk about the the CRV touring much more. I think I said all I needed to say about it last week. Um, and so let's just roll into what you folks are driving. And uh, Rebecca, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You have the you have the Lexus LX570, and that's that's all interesting. And we'll talk about that. But I I want to know your thoughts about the 2019 Ram 1500 Hemi Limited E Torque giant <laughs> truck that you can't yes. park anywhere. How does it fit in your driveway? It was your great. Driveway, I, I have plenty big. of space in my was driveways. It? Actually, I have two driveways. I have a, my house that's up on a hill. Oh. So I have a lower driveway <laughs> and an upper driveway. That's like the 50s. Like, how many TVs do you have? You have two TVs? <laughs> Nobody has two TVs. <laughs> I have a lot of TVs. I oh, we've got, we, we, we've actually got four TVs in this house right now, even though I, there's only two I, of us living here. Well, I, I the have, one is semi retired. The one of the, the TV, living, I mean. one of the people living <laughs> no, there, the, or the, the TV, the TV. <laughs> so I isn't that what you do when you semi-retire? You put the TV to full-time employment, yeah, pretty much. I think I. Have, <laughs> sorry, sorry, you've been trying to talk for like a minute, Rebecca. I think I have four TVs, four driveways, uh, or four TVs, four TVs, four two driveways, <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a ram, and a ram in, the driveway. in the driveway. <laughs> no, so you know. So there's a couple of things. So I've had this truck twice, actually. I had one about a year ago, coincidentally. And and I really like it. I mean, it's it's very drivable. It's great looking. It drives a lot smaller than it looks. It can be a little beastly to park because it's a big, you know, it's a big truck. Uh, but one of the things, one of my pet peeves was last year, the one that I had, did not have... Uh, the split tailgate. They hadn't they hadn't unveiled that yet. They unveiled it in February at Chicago, and that is, I think, a a, a big improvement. Now, I can't say I I love it. It it's still, you know, it's it's functional. It, it's low grade gimmicky, but it's certainly better than trying to get into the truck bed via the license plate holder, which you can't even do when the truck bed door is down, the tailgate is down. So from that standpoint, it was a lot easier to use, uh, you know, and to get in. It did have a tonneau top on it. So I wasn't like, you know, crawling in and out of a lot, but it was, it just makes, it improves the functionality of that pickup truck bed for people that are shorter or just older or just don't have, you know, six foot long arms. <laughs> so there was a lot of good things about that. Yeah, those sound good. Why, so what's gimmicky about it? Well, it's, you know, that you can't drive with the split tailgate open. So it's not like it helps you with. You, you can drive with like one side of it open. So, you know, it's funny, Sam, because I wasn't sure about that because when I looked at it, 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 looked there was a there was a warning sign and i interpreted that as at first i interpreted it as you could you could drive with one side open 
But then when we looked at it again, we we're like, I don't know, like to be safe, I wouldn't drive with either side open, but then it kind of limits the usability. So, so you can drive with, with this, the shorter side open. Yeah, I believe you can, you know, so if you're carrying long, uh, long objects, you know, instead of them, you know, leaning up over the top of the tailgate, right. Uh, like you would traditionally do, you can just leave that shorter side open and, you know, have it hanging out the back. And of course, if you're going to do that, make sure that, you know, you put a red flag or something oh. on there, you know, so that other drivers can see where the end of, you know, whatever your load is. Yes. Um, because that, you know, that does make it that, you know, that that's important for safety. Yeah, for sure. It absolutely is. But the, well, so do you bungee the short side to the closed side to, I don't know. We don't need to talk about how we're, I guess we're. No, it stays open. It will stay looks. in place. Like it'll right. hold itself open? Yeah. It's, you know, when, when you open it up to the sides, you know, there, there's kind of a, uh, a latching, yeah. a semi, like a yeah, catch, a catch yeah. there that will hold it open. So it's not going to flop around as you're driving. It, right. Right. It will, it will okay. stay in place. So that was cool. I mean, you know, again, it's one of those, it's, it's significantly better than it, than it used to be. It's not a multi-gate, multi-pro tailgate thing that, you know, GMC has, but, but it's certainly better than it, than it was. The, um, the other thing that was really remarkable about it was the, the amount of room in the back seat in the, that second row, it was unbelievable. I mean, my brother, believe it or not, is about six, three, and he's actually shrunk a little bit in his, <laughs> in his early sixties now. And, you know, but he said he's got the seat all the way back as far back as he can go. And there was still my brother-in-law who's, who's six feet. He sat in the back comfortably. I mean, there was just so much room in that thing. And, you know, there was just a lot of utility to it. Super, super comfortable. Heated seats, cooled seats. Uh, you know, very, I found the infotainment system to be really easy to use. My brother said it took him a couple of hours to get used to it and to kind of adjust to it and to find his way around a little bit. He thought it was a little bit clumsy in places, but, and he drives a lot of different vehicles because he travels a lot for work and is always renting a car. So he's pretty savvy in that regard. So he said it took him a little bit longer, but I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. I think that that's, you know, pretty commonplace these days. Um, I did, you know, one of the things that we noticed when we were driving together at one point, it has, uh, if you back up and it thinks you're going to hit something, it practically slammed us against the seat. I had, I had the same experience when I drove the Ram. It was so dramatic. (laughs) Yeah. It's that's the, that's the rear automatic emergency braking. Um, so when it detects an object behind you, it, it will, you know, it will stop. Yes. And, uh, when it happened to me, I think, I I think I talked about it on on the show. Um, you know, I was going into some tall grass to do some photography with it. Oh, that's right. And and I, I was backing down the, this little hill and it, you know, there was just some tall grass behind me. So there was nothing, you know, nothing I couldn't run over, but it, you know, the, the, the sensors detected that grass yeah. and it just slammed on the brakes and it, you're right. It is very abrupt. It's very, well, so this was, um, my brother-in-law is, uh, very particular about his driveway, understandably. And so he has those orange little sticks lining it for the snow plows. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those like little bendable iron sticks and and that's all it was like you know we were going to destroy that thing if we had run over it 
like not the other way around. And and it was just like, wow, that just like it was almost like whiplash. It was so dramatic. So really abrupt. So, you know, it'd be nice to have some kind of sensitivity there on that. Um, but otherwise, you know, it was a really nice vehicle to drive. I mean, you know, being as small as I am, I could get in and out of it. The running boards came down very easily, tucked back inside. Then I certainly was able to adjust the seat and get a nice, comfortable driving position. And I didn't feel like it was so big that I was uncomfortable, you know, or that I had this huge truck around me. Um, which but I you did, did, but I did. <laughs> but but, the, but that's the, that's what you were talking about last week too, too, right? Like your friend with the um, yeah, the, the giant SUV. Sort of once once you get comfortable, you just they really they yeah, fit. You exactly. Know? Well engineered ones do, you know, and certainly the more modern yeah. vehicles because you know as I think I had mentioned a, a while ago now um, on the Honda Pilot that the Honda Pilot and to some extent the MDX as well. They drive really big and heavy and you just the – the pilot especially, I just had that feeling of like I'm the only person in a seven-seater. <laughs> Whereas with the Ram, I really – you know, I felt really comfortable in it and and didn't – you know, I, I – I definitely, you know, parked every once in a while. I parked a little bit further away just because it was easier to park. But at the same time, you know, I think I actually I had more of an issue with the length of it than whether I was going to fit in a spot. So, well, it's pretty wide too, though. Like it's just a they're just it's they're it's big. a big well, truck. I mean, for sure. all 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 current full size trucks yeah. are huge. I mean, they That's are true. enormous. That's true. It's but so it and it's so interesting that. Um, so you didn't feel like the Ram drives, I, I guess it's a different category. So it's, it's less of a sin if a, a pickup truck drives heavy and sort of, you know, weighty, but you didn't feel like it was, it was just like this giant massive thing. No, that's what the Lexus LX570 is for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, coming up. No, <laughs> I, I, okay. I was very present. I was really very pleasantly surprised. I didn't feel like that. I do remember driving, um, not the new Nissan Titan, but the previous edition. And that was just a beast. It was just a beast. You just, it, you just slogged around in it. And I haven't driven the new one yet. So I'm assuming they fixed some of that, but the Nissan Titan was really, I think I would say the only full-size pickup truck that I did not enjoy driving. You know, and and I think the thing about the Ram is it's suspension and, and steering, you know, it's driving dynamics are so much better than any other full-size truck that I think that that's a big part of why it doesn't feel as ponderous because it, 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 you know, for its size, you know, it, it feels comparatively nimble. You know, if you can, if you can say that about a three ton truck, no, I would describe it as it's it's responsive, right? It's responsive. responsive And it's very comfortable. It is. I mean, I actually, so tomorrow I've got to go up to, to, I have to, um, go up to Massachusetts. I'm going to be, I'm going to be on the road probably about five or six hours. And I would not have minded if I had still had the truck, you know, I think I would have been fine with that. I think I probably would have enjoyed it. Yeah. Anytime I get one of those and the Rams, especially cause they just, they just have a nice interior and they have that full coil spring suspension. So they're just, they ride really nicely. And maybe that's why, it still feels maneuverable and controllable and it's cause you're not, it's not 
bouncing you around the interior you know it's soaking up bumps it to me it feels like you know you've got something that's just heavy it's just big and it's okay it's not I'm not complaining about it, but I just I'm aware of the the size and the bulk of it because that the the ram is heavier, significantly heavier than uh, either the the GM pickups or the um, yeah the F series. I mean, I didn't um, feel like it's ponderous it, though, and that's yeah. I don't know. There's such yeah. I agree. It's not ponderous, but it's to me it, it feels like there's there's some mass here, but um, for sure managed but yeah, well. But, but I liked it though. Yeah. I mean, I. I you know, I, I think, again, like, especially driving in, you know, we're not exactly in the open road here. <laughs> I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to drive it in Manhattan or anything, but, you know, it was for this, for for my suburban area and, you know, on the highway and um, whether it was on 95 or the, you know, more the two lane Merritt Parkway, it was just really well behaved, very predictable, super comfortable, great visibility, you know, I just, I really, really liked it. I did find the bed was, you know, it's kind of funny because we were complaining about how long it is. The bed was a little bit short, um, but, you know, it's a really did long. Did you have the, the standard bed or the longer bed? We had the, we had the standard bed. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, that would be, I guess, you know, on some level, I'm like, okay, if I have to say something I didn't like about it, that that would be the only, the only thing I would probably go for a longer bed. But again, that just makes a longer truck and then you're getting into all other sorts of trouble. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, the choice there, you know, if you're buying, you know, comes down to largely comes down to if you're going to be towing uh, or hauling sure. loads, you know, if, if your primary use for the truck is to tow stuff and you're not going to be hauling big loads with it most of the time in the bed, you go for the shorter one. Sure. But you know, if you need to, if you do need to use that bed, you you know, you have the option of that six foot, six and a half foot bed instead of the five and a half foot bed. Right. And that, and that I would have, I would not have minded that at all just for what we were, you know, moving around and, and hauling cargo kind of stuff in it. Um, but really it just, you know, it's just a beautiful truck. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I think you said you had a limited. Yes. So yeah, that one comes with the uh, you know comes standard with the uh, four corner air suspension as well, which further enhances the ride quality of this thing. I mean, it's already good with the coils, yes, but with with the air suspension, it it really takes it up another notch. It really does. I mean, the engineering that went into this is really impressive. It's just it it is definitely an everyday driver for sure. The I. Uh, I can't remember exactly what we were getting for fuel economy. I'll find out from my brother. I do know that when it was delivered, it had a range of 550 miles. <laughs> well, that's because it's got like a 70 gallon tank. Uh, no, actually, well, it's, that's it's probably 30, the, uh, the 30, 33. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. 33 gallon tank. Um, but, you know, again, that's pretty awesome. If you're out, you know, if you're out in, in Wyoming and in Montana and, you know, ranch country, that's exactly what you need. You need that kind of range. Yeah, no, it's it's truck designed for truck yeah. stuff, um, and that's you know I that that's why I think I I like it so much. Um, there's a lot of people that do long highway slogs with their trucks, and the Ram is really comfortable for that. You know, it's they've made that trade off to yes, it's actually two thirds of a full size SUV with a, ve- a bed in yes, the back. Exactly. Um, so I had the, f- and, and that's, that's yeah, fine. So it was the 5.7 liter. As Sam pointed out uh, pre show, it did have the e-torque in it. 
And so it was very, uh, you know, it had the stop start, but really non-intrusive. So Sam, talk a little bit more because you certainly know it better than I do about the eTorque. Yeah, so this is uh, uh, FCA's branding for their 48-volt mild hybrid system. Uh, and it's uh, eTorque is standard on the, the Pentastar V6, and it's optional on the Hemi V8. And it's also on the uh, the Wrangler with the two-liter turbo engine. And they'll be getting more next year. In fact, there was a report out today that the, uh, the Durango is going to get the eTorque Hemi available uh, in 2020 and probably the, um, uh, the, the Pentastar as well. And what this is, it's, it's uh, there's, there's a different configurations, but you know, standard most vehicles for the last sixty odd years uh, have been have had twelve volt electrical systems. So you have a twelve volt alternator on your engine, and your battery and all the systems in the vehicle run on twelve volts, except some of the electronics that run five, but that's not important. Um, and what what we're starting to see now is implementation of 48 volt electrical systems. So this is what we call a low voltage electrification system. And they, they pick 48 because at 60 volts, there's different regulations as far as safety, uh, you know, for, to protect, uh, you know, anybody who's working on the truck or, you know, emergency responders and things like that. So you need uh, extra equipment required when you go above 60 volts. And that's what you have, you know, on full hybrids, strong hybrids. Those are running like three, four hundred volts in battery electrics. Forty-eight volts, you can you don't have to do all that. But what you get is you replace the standard twelve-volt alternator with a belted starter generator, um, and it's a it's a forty-eight-volt generator that um, not only does it do um, some regenerative braking for you and recovers that energy and stores it in a lithium-ion battery. But it also provides more more electrical power to the rest of the system. Provides on the Hemi, it's uh, 130 foot pounds. I think it's either 130 or 180 extra foot pounds of torque on top of what the Hemi V8 already produces. Um, and because you've got that uh, lithium ion battery storing energy, um, when you do things like auto stop start, you know, with a lot of 12 volt uh, systems with stop start. A lot of times you'll find, especially if it's hot out or cold out, you know, when the, when the engine shuts off in the middle, you know, at, at an intersection, for example, a lot of times, you know, it's the system's always monitoring the battery. As the battery voltage starts to drop, it'll restart the engine so that, you know, before it gets too low so that you make sure that it can restart. And if that happens while your foot is still on the brake pedal while you're sitting there at, at the intersection, that's when you tend to feel the restarts the most. You okay. Know, uh, because uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're applying the brakes, you know, it gives a reaction torque. If the engine restarts while the vehicle's moving, then it becomes almost transparent. And so um, the, one of the things the 48-volt system does is it allows you to get um, to, you know, keep the engine off longer. So that's better for fuel economy. And because it typically doesn't restart, because it can, now it can stay off for, you know, a couple of minutes at a time, uh, because of that, now you can... Um, uh, keep it off until until the vehicle, you know, until you really start ready to roll again, your foot's off the brake pedal. So it's a lot, tends to be a lot smoother system. And because it's got more power, it also restarts the engine faster. Um, and it gets you about, you know, on the Hemi, it's usually good for about 15% extra fuel economy. Yeah, they're saying um, two miles per gallon, 13% yeah. improvement. It's actually, it's 130 foot pounds of torque. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Pound foot, sorry, and, of torque. Yeah, so you know the um, 
the you know the improvement in fuel economy depends on which configuration you get, whether it's a two wheel drive or four wheel drive. But sure. Yeah, it's, it averages out to around fifteen percent. You know, uh, you know, over the fleet, some are a little bit more, some are a little bit less. But you know, it's it's a it's a really good system that is for, it's relatively low cost. Uh, it's definitely cheaper than you know a strong hybrid system. It doesn't have all the capabilities of a strong hybrid system, so you're not going to be driving around on electricity alone. Right. But you know when you're uh, you know, when you're going down the road and you need to accelerate, um, you know, to pass somebody or, you know, to maintain speed going up a hill, you know, it can give you that extra bit of torque without having to use more fuel as well. So even though the engine's running, you know, the engine doesn't necessarily have to work as hard by itself. You can you can use the, the energy from the battery and get some of that extra performance without uh, without hurting your fuel economy. So it's about a $1,250 uh, upgrade from the 5.7 V8 without it. So right. the 5.7 is a 1395 upgrade. This is on the 2019. And then the 5.7 with e-torque is 2645 I think that what's remarkable about it is, you know, that is the – the transparency of it, you know, there, there's no markings on it. You don't, you certainly don't really feel it when you're driving and yet it is providing you with that better fuel economy and, you know, and, and certainly that better driving experience, but the regenerate braking, like none of that was really very obvious, uh, you know, when we were driving it for the week, it was, it was impressive. And I also like yeah. the fact that I could change it. You know, I remember when it, it was snowing lightly when I left. And so I was able just to do on the fly and change it to four wheel drive and automatic, you know, went back to two wheel drive and that kind of, again, that's sort of engineering and functionality. Yeah, and you know this is you know what's interesting about uh, FCA's approach to the um, you know to to trying to sell electrification because you know consumers, American consumers, especially in you know trucks and SUVs, they're not they don't really seem to be all that interested in paying extra for more fuel economy, um, and so they're you know, they're not emphasizing you know the fact that it's a mild hybrid. They are you know the, they badge it as e-torque. You know, so they're selling they're selling the capability it gives you, not the fuel economy. The right. fuel economy just comes across comes along as an extra bonus. You're you're, you're how paying much for the how torque. much better is the fuel it's economy uh, for two miles per gallon? Yeah, it works uh, by overall on average. It works. Gallon. Yeah, it, it, it depending you know if it's a two wheel drive or four wheel drive, which configuration uh, it works out to uh, between thirteen and eighteen percent improvement in fuel economy. Yeah, I want to say that we. So what is it? What is its? What's its combined um, EPA rating? Um, you know, and I that? apologize because I can't find the Mulroney that took that came with it. But I want to say we were getting in the low twenties. Is that somewhere in there? I, I mean, you know, we weren't going hard at it, obviously. Um, but you know, it, it was it was good. I mean, it was. I'll tell you right now. Again, I keep bringing it up, but we'll talk about. It, but the that Lexus, I got. I'm getting like 14. Nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, so like thirteen hundred dollars for what amounts to probably less than six months worth of fuel that you're saving um, for that bump, and you get extra performance out of it. That doesn't seem too bad to me. Like it, it sort of. It pays back in a couple of ways, I guess, if you want to try yeah, to wrap your exactly. head around. Well, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, I, I tell people that you you want to buy something that isn't going to be 
uh, isn't going to be out of date, you know, when you go to sell it, you know, and so that's something else, too, that I think you look at and think, you know, is this going to be is this going to make it more attractive uh, whenever I go to sell this thing? And I think it would. I think, you know, because vehicles are only going to going to be getting more efficient. And so, you know, if you go to sell this thing in five years and it has e-torque, all cars are going to have e-torque now, you know, in five years kind of thing, or at least have that that type of uh, of technology. And so I think it's a I think it's a wise move. I think it's a it's if your budget allows, I would say that it's a good thing to bump up to. Yeah, it's uh, the, it's rated at uh, nineteen combined, seventeen city, twenty two highway for a four wheel drive. I have never gotten that kind of fuel economy. Out of really? Ram. So we got uh, we were definitely no. in that twenty twenty one range for the highway. No, I I think it maybe. Yeah, but you're a jerk on the road. You've admitted average. that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I do. I do drive like an ass. You're a mass. You can't help it. Let's let's jump over to the other truck you had, the LX570, which is I really, really like it. It's super outdated, but it's got that kind of quaint charm. Uh, it doesn't sound like it charmed you quite it as much. It did not though. charm me quite as much. Um, and and what what was not charming uh, about it? It was a lot. It's so ironic that I'm saying this after having just talked about the, how I felt like the Ram drove smaller. I felt like this the the Lexus was just a gigantic vehicle i mean it's just it's i i felt kind of silly in it (laughs) because it's again it's one of those like i really was very conscious of the fact that the majority of the time i was the only passenger the only driver you know only occupant the only occupant of this vehicle and you know i mean this thing is so it's it's got a 5.7 liter v8 eight-speed automatic it's funny because it's very similar to the ram um in terms of the of the you know engine transmission yeah but their their 5.7 is weaker exactly (laughs) it was it i was very conscious of the fact that it was for sure a truck for sure a truck-based vehicle very antiquated technology it was luxurious i mean it's still a lexus but you know it just kind of Right. Yeah. Well, they make a big deal about their their semi aniline leather. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the like the definitely. LX is, uh, you know, it it's the Lexus version of the t- Toyota Sequoia, which of course shares its platform with the no. Tundra. No. I yeah. I thought the LX was the Prado. It's the Land no, Cruiser. No, the GX is the is the uh, Land Cruiser. I thought the GX was the um uh the Sequoia the, the thing the Forerunner. No, the the, G, the, G, the, G, the GX is the Forerunner, right? Isn't that what I just and said? The LX, yeah. No, GX is Forerunner. LX is um, Land Cruiser. Um, I thought. I, that's what. That's what I, didn't, I thought. Well, what, you know what? Either way, they're old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Sequoia is. It, it, I don't think it's based on the Sequoia, but even if it is, it's like it's a. That's an old yeah. vehicle, and the um, the Land Cruiser is also. I remember when that was debuted which was many years ago. I was still writing for Autoblog and I haven't written for Autoblog in four plus years now. So, uh, yeah, it's been a while. Um, I, I wonder if that's part of the charm though, that the Lexus SUVs, like the traditional SUVs just don't change. And Lexus people 
don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they like that consistency because it's it's not a bad vehicle. Like you said, it's just per, perhaps it feels feels a little antique. It's also crazy it expensive. Crazy um, expensive. So this one that I had, which was uh, let me take my glasses off so I can see something. Um, it doesn't have a specific. You're right. The uh, the LX is the Land Cruiser. Yeah, because it even looks like it. Either way. It even looks like the thing. Yeah. So this one had the luxury package, which has a semi-aniline leather trimmed interior, uh, the outboard seats, uh, heated and ventilated front and second row. I thought you were going to say seats, outboard motors. Um, the Mark Levinson <laughs> audio system, the dual screen DVD, this and that. So that so the base price for this thing was $91,380 and as delivered Oish. it was 100,260. Okay, and le- Okay, but let me tell you just a couple things. So for as a for instance, the heated seats took a good 15 minutes to heat up. Okay? Oh, so by the time they start to get warm you're where you need to be. You are where you need to be. <laughs> the heated steering wheel, same thing. It took for like the the car. I spent more time being cold in that car than I did. So being I wonder if but, that's a setting that they can adjust maybe at the dealer, because that's one of the things like with 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 the Volvos. You could do that with the dealer. You could set the, the heated seats to like scorch or like Florida warm. It depends on where you are. You, oh, can, you can adjust it. Sure. So OK. That may, maybe that may I don't be know. A configuration. But I don't know. I mean, I the heads up display was good. I did like that. Uh, it it did have a cool that cool box in it, which is kind of clever, you know, in the center console. Yes. Um. So that was kind of fun. The power moonroof, I couldn't figure out how to turn it on, and I kept turning off the door light. So then I would go to get <laughs> in it at night, and not only it's was so it dark, dark and yeah. cold, but it's, cold, but it was dark as well. It's, dark. it's like, a cave it just, that you drive. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh! Again, it's one of those things that it's purpose built. So, if but what is you the what, what purpose have, is it built for? Well, it's it's a truck based. Well, I'll, so I tell you. So my friend Tom has one. She's actually had two in a row. Um, See, Lexus people don't lo- care. They love them. <laughs> well, it, he loves it because the back seat, the third row. You know, it's um. This was this was a five passenger, but the third, the back cargo area is so big, it can comfortably fit his elderly dog, and she can lay down in there, and she has plenty of room, and she's all cozy and warm, and because apparently she doesn't care that it takes forever to warm up. It's so you know he could buy a suburban and do the same thing. I, I well, I you know, know what else can hold and, a, and an elderly you, dog? Our Honda Civic. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, and she's a golden retriever. You're in, it's a big dog. You're in Greenwich. She's a big dog. All right. Matilda's like, a big dog. Fairfield yes. County requires you to buy the truck that is purpose designed for a purpose you're never going to use it for. It's very much like suburban Boston. Oh, okay. So, like, th- this, so this competes with the stuff like the G-Wagon or oh, maybe not oh, quite the G-Wagon. G-Wagon's but like ridiculous. Well, okay. I haven't driven the, the G-Wagon, so I should. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, not, not the G-Wagon, the, the, G, the G-Class. So, 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 you know, the competitive set, GL. you know, G-Wagon. Range Rover, would you put that in the same? Class? Yeah, I, I would. I sure. don't. I'm trying to remember. Not not the G wagon though. The other the, 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 the GLS. The, the, well, I would put the I would put uh, the GL. Oh, well, they change yeah, all their the names GLS now. But, in there. but the yeah, big one, the, yeah, the, G, the GLS. <laughs> the GLS, which was gorgeous. Yeah, so, um, you know, because I, I do think like like Land Rover, Range Rover, um, because the 
LX570, because it's based on the Land Cruiser, it's got three lockable differentials. It's got a lockable center differential. You can it, lock either axle. Like, it's really it capable. Does. You're never going to use very, it. So, But this is the thing, too, is that why go up to the Lexus version of it? Why not just get the authentic yeah, Toyota Land Cruiser? And the Land Cruiser right, is, That's the other thing, too. Right. The Land Cruiser is also super nice. It looks better. It's still pretty luxurious. And you can get that sucker up to $90,000, too. So... It, Yes, but, you know, the Lexus, I I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it was a beautiful vehicle. It looked beautiful. It was a lot to drive every day. It's also got a wimpy engine. That, I mean. It does. Well, that's the thing is that I didn't feel like I was, you know, the comparison to the, that emotional connection between the Ram 1500 and the, and the Lexus, it was actually kind of fun to have them like compare and contrast because they were both enormous vehicles. Yeah. But the difference in how it made me feel was really significant because I felt like in the Lexus, I was driving a 10 year old car. Well, you are. It's probably a 15 year old uh, well, car. Well, right. But it's, but I was very aware of it, especially when you compare and contrast it with all that engineering that we just talked about with the Ram. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, so it's, it's got the, and the Lexus V8 is a good engine, but it's like, I think you're down about a hundred horsepower compared to that, that Ram, you know, it's 383 horsepower, which it's like, that's not far off of a V6 territory these days. And, and turbo V6s go past that pretty easily. And it can only tow 7,000 pounds, which yeah, you can, so you can tow that with a Durango with the Hemi, well, you know, which yeah. is, I mean, I, th- I think the number one thing, like if you read some of the reviews about the Lexus LX570, they are scorching. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, wow, people do not like this vehicle. How did you feel? And, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, how did you feel about the infotainment? It has that mouse thing on the, the dash. Which I don't mind. I actually like that. It's not bad. It's, it's better than the it, Lexus touchpad. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It is better than the Lexus touchpad, but only slightly. And it has a large screen now. It does have a large screen. It jumped around so much that, you know, it just, there was nothing really simple about it. I I didn't, I don't know, you know, (laughs) I mean, oh, I will tell you one of the things that drives me crazy. So, and I've run into this before, I where, and I apologize, you know, this may be actually because I just got the Toyota Corolla, um, where you can't, it's not easy to set up the phone, but I, I was able to, I was able to do that pretty well in, in the 570. I didn't have as much of an issue with it. Uh, but it, it just, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really where I want to be. Um, you know, <laughs> while, while you've been talking, it's looking up some specs and for what it's worth. The LX570 engine is 383 horsepower. That's only 10 horsepower less than the Hemi. The Hemi is only 393 horsepower. I thought the Hemi was for so something. Then what, so what's going on with it then? Like, why well, the don't Hemi, I feel... The Hemi has e-torque. I, mean, I thought the Hemi was... But even, even, the, non, okay. even the non-e-torque Hemis feel strong. And I think, I think it's yeah. actually probably more the torque. I'll have to uh, look up the... Um, the torque numbers for the two of them. I, I and I'm I'm not saying that the the 5.7 Hemi is like a super power powerhouse engine. Like that's also it's aged and it's down on power compared to all of the other engines kind of around it. Especially when we talk about you know turbocharged V6s. That well, actually, the, there's well, not that much the difference in torque. The, the Hemi is 410 foot pounds. 
and the uh, the the Lexus is four hundred and three. I think it was the calibration of it then too. It could be well. The he- I yeah. think that e torque. I think that e torque does make a difference. Oh, I bet it does. It fills in that in that Hemi. Yeah. You you know, it's you've got that immediate sensation of acceleration, and and you know, with the Lexus, I felt like I was barging in even when there was nobody on the highway. Yeah, well, know? and the the, sort of- the Lexus V eight too. It's a it's a different. It's a different kind of power delivery. I bet if you look through the power curves, it's a rever, you know, it's a dual overhead cam V8 yes. versus the Hemi, which is a, you know, it's, it's not a Hemi, it's a wedge, but it's, um, right. you know, it, it's, it's a push rod V8. It's going to deliver its torque like a truck engine down low. Um, even in, even at that, it, the, the 5.7 Hemi still to me feels a, a little peaky. So yeah. for whatever reason, like old V8s are getting old. They're getting <laughs> I mean, I put it in the different modes that it comes in the eco and uh, and sport and, you know, it was fine. I mean, I just I, I think that just the it was it just always felt big. I never felt like I was in an athletic that that athletic performance oriented vehicle. You know, I was in a big I was in a big truck based SUV. I, yeah, I think that's part of the charm, though. Like, I, I, I think it's interesting that you it's say the part reviews of a charm in a, in a stone cottage. It's not part yeah, of the well, charm. <laughs> I, again, that's the thing that like you buy because of the quote unquote character, right? And then once you get into the ownership experience, you're like, man, that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, and the price point, you know, when you think about like the Lincoln Navigator. You know, we think about competitive set and you think about like the Lincoln Navigator, the BMW X7, like there's, you know, there's some really good vehicles out there in this size and class. Yeah. And the way it's going to be used, I think that those are perfectly, uh, perfectly fair to, to cite as competitors. I do. I'm like, I'm looking at the center console, the, the shot of the center console. I'm like, there's a lot of buttons, a lot of switches. It's, uh, knobs. It's, it's complicated because it's very capable. And I, I think that there there may be a very special subset of these owners that actually take them off road. Uh, I think the only time I would expect to see one off road is like you know down on the Cape with like a uh, an, a, an oversand permit or something um, for the rich, rich yeah, people that don't I, care about <laughs> you know destroying their their hundred thousand dollar vehicle. But you know, even but even the interior, even the, some of the materials that they used, I think are dated. It doesn't give that feeling of clean, simple, modern lines. Okay. You know, it just doesn't. And then I also, I hate those analog clocks drive me crazy. (laughs) There is a second one. There is a second one that is a digital because the analog, I'm like, I need to know if I'm one minute or 10 minutes behind schedule, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know what that, like, you just glance at it. You're like, I don't know what that says. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, that's such a holdover. Like I, it, it, Exactly. So, you know, I don't know if they're planning on on, you know, refreshing this or not. But what, one one I, one big I, difference I, yeah. between these two is the the Lexus is about 500 pounds heavier than the Ram. Oh, that'll make a big oh, difference. Yeah. Well, that. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I bet that that cuts into the towing, too. I was not impressed. 7000 pounds is just not not that much, but it's not I guess it's well, not really, I mean, it's, it's more than most. It's not your towing. It's more than most people would use for a light duty vehicle anyway. You know, I mean, yeah. most most people that are towing with a light duty truck or utility are probably towing a boat, you know, that's in the four to five thousand pound range. 
So 7,000 pounds is actually yeah. probably sufficient for most light duty uses. You know, once you get beyond that, you know, and you're in the 10, 12,000 pound range or more, most people are stepping up to a, a medium duty anyway, you know, a, a super, you know, Ford super duty or, you know, the Ram heavy duties or GM heavy duties. Yeah, that makes, yeah. That makes sense. So the, uh, the other thing too, with Alexis that dated it was my phone was too large to fit into the slot that they had for the wireless <laughs> charging pad. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I have a galaxy S nine plus that's almost two years old. Okay. And it was too big. Well, so that's I yeah. That it's got to be headed for at least a significant redesign, if not complete redo, at some point. Just to that's entropy. That's going to keep happening to this thing exactly um, until they fix it. Yeah, for sure. I it's lovely. So what? I like, it looks handsome in pictures. It, it it it's it's very hands it's a very handsome vehicle. It is, and again, I don't know. if it's if I, that's I, I don't know that I necessarily agree jam, with that. You don't like the grill. Uh, well, right? it, 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 I mean, it's an imposing vehicle. Okay, I'll give you, you that. Know, it's I, I, I far prefer the authenticity of the Land Cruiser. Yeah, I like the Land Cruiser. I feel like better. the Land Cruiser is doesn't pretend to be anything what than what it's not. This is a very tarted up Land Cruiser, and I'd rather just have a Land Cruiser. Well, see, and like now you can get the Land Cruiser with like. You know, blacked out chrome and copper color wheels or it's just, yeah. you can get the Land Cruiser so that it looks a lot more uh, authentically rough and tumble um, where you're still not going to take it anywhere. Now, but. One, <laughs> one, one important thing to consider, though, you know, if you're comparing this to, say, a Range Rover is this thing will probably run, you know, for 20, 30 years with nothing but oil changes I, and, and, sure. and new tires, whereas Range Rover... Probably won't. I, no, that's a very fair statement. What you, is that, yeah, what you, you should know. do is um, it's breathtaking to go on like the Boston Craigslist and type in Range Rover or Land Rover and just sort by price low to high. The amount of depreciation those things take, you can get yourself a 2008. I saw it the last night. A 2008 Land Rover. No, a Range Rover Sport. So, you know, the, the Land Rover looks on the LR4 frame um, for, for like four grand. No. It's just like, oh, yeah. stunning depreciation. I mean, uh, that's a special case. <laughs> I'm sure that that one was a complete piece of crap and had a lot of stuff wrong yeah, with it. Gonna, was it flooded? What uh, happened? Who knows? To it? But like they they depreciate like an anvil slid off a cliff yeah. they just like <laughs> they're just trouble and everybody knows it and once they get past a certain mileage and age they are worthless and yeah. so yeah that that's true the toyota is always going to have um I, I think a more satisfying ownership experience yeah for sure i mean again it's it's i do think there's better choices out there uh but for re durability reliability it's hard to beat from that standpoint i'll give it that I, I like the I like the Land Cruiser better. I'm looking at a picture of it now. It's just it's way better looking in the front. So, yeah, yeah, the big grills I'm not a fan of, but some people really like it. I mean, it, it definitely you know it it's it it makes a big presence in a parking lot. That's for sure. All right. <laughs> yep, it makes it has presence. I'll give it that. Yes. yes, not a presence I would want to be in the presence of, but yeah. <laughs> 
you know, some people, t- 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 if you look at high-end goods, there's just re- not necessarily any taste uh, <laughs> yeah. involved. Very um, true. So let's go from from the LX570, $100,000 Land Cruiser-based you know, sport utility, to another um, vehicle based on old architecture that's a lot less expensive. So <laughs> you've been but, driving but not the, as uh, not as inexpensive as you might hope. Well, yeah, I think, and and or at least you know, not, price, not not uh, by sticker value, sticker price, anyway. right? Sticker price versus reality that has a big delta here. So you're driving the 2020 Mitsubishi Outlander Sport, yeah, which I quite like, and it's got a new nose for 2020, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, it's it, it got uh, a mild uh, refresh. You know, the the new nose is definitely a lot better looking than before. You know, I mean, overall, the the Outlander Sport is not a bad looking vehicle uh, from the outside. Um, you know, and but on the inside, <laughs> you know, well, let me say this, you know, let me kind of set the stage here. You know, so the Outlander Sport, you know, okay, fits sorry. into this subcompact crossover segment, you know, basically same segment as Honda HRV, uh, Jeep Renegade, the Mazda CX-30 we talked about last time, uh, you know, and a whole bunch of other vehicles in that segment. And definitely better looking on the outside now than it was before. Um, the inside, the Layout's not bad, but it definitely has that Mitsubishi cheap feel on the inside. You know, a lot of hard plastics. There are a couple of surfaces that are, you know, soft touch. Um, it it didn't come across to me as bad as I remember it the last time I drove one of these or or any other Mitsubishi. <laughs> you know, it it, 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 it has it has been <laughs> it has been somewhat improved. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's it. It wasn't horrible, you know, and okay, so yeah, go ahead. I'm you sorry. know, so it 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 definitely felt, you know, it it was. I didn't hate it as much as I expected to. That said, <laughs> okay, so so my right, my take on it has always been like it drives okay, and it has decent ergonomics. Yeah. it's just it just overall the yeah, I mean, ev- feeling a it's it's old and it feels kind of cheap. yeah ev- everything is where you expect it to be for the most part which is good you know the, the screen's at a, a decent position and everything and you know that much is fine the the ride quality is is, is perfectly fine no no complaints there um you know i wouldn't push it too hard through corners but you know i wouldn't necessarily do that with most utilities in this segment um you know the engine this one the one i have is the gt uh all wheel control uh version so this is the the top end version of this vehicle and you know it has the 2.4 liter engine which has like 176 horsepower roughly um which is fine you know it's it's got adequate performance if you don't mind a cvt that you know gives you that motorboating effect you know it doesn't try to simulate the the behavior of a of a standard step ratio transmission um you know it's it's fine you know it's it's not too noisy um you know so it you know they have done a decent job on the nvh so you know if you you know if you're really listening for it you'll hear that you know as you accelerate you know the engine revs up to 4000 rpm and just stays there you know as your as your speed is increasing but it's not it's not real okay. loud so it's not that bothersome is that one of the improvements, would you say? Because I think that's one of the areas. The NVH? I yeah. think NVH is, is one of the areas that I most, I I, I, I struggle with the most when it comes yes, to Mitsubishi. Yes, it's definitely improved in NVH. So it's not, you know, and that, this is one of the things that, you know, as I drove it, as I've been driving it, it, it I don't 
dislike it as much as I have most of the the recent Mitsubishi's I've driven. So it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely better there. And actually, I I, I can honestly say okay. I don't really dislike it. Um, you know, it's it's fine. You know, it's a perfectly adequate you know compact crossover, subcompact crossover. What's the price point? That's on the it? problem. <laughs> Sticker <laughs> price on this thing is uh, you know. You know, we, in recent years, you know, Mitsubishi, I think, has largely survived on, you know, being able to sell vehicles to people who basically can't afford anything else. You know, doing a lot of subprime loans, um, you know, doing a lot of discounting. This one, um, let me find it here. They, uh, this one here, pretty, pretty full. They do a lot of zero, zero, yeah, full, zeros. Full, zero down, yeah, zero payments. Full, fully zero. loaded on this yeah. one is $28,920. Okay. See, that's that doesn't seem bad to it, me. It, well, it doesn't. No, but comparatively, it, it doesn't in isolation. The problem is, even com- last exactly. week, last week we talked about the the Mazda CX thirty, and you know, yes. for the you know, as much as we have complained in the past about Mazda's recent move up market and getting more premium, the CX thirty is actually very has actually got a lot of value in it, and it's actually priced surprisingly aggressively. When when I and it's when, very when nice I, to when drive. I, like it, yeah, you when feel I compa- there's a high quality. When I compare to the it. Um, the the equipment on this one for just shy of twenty nine thousand dollars delivered, it it prices up. It, it's comparable to the CX thirty Select, which is the mid level trim of the CX thirty. And I pri- you know I priced it out as close as I could to a CX thirty with the same equipment, and the CX thirty was two thousand dollars cheaper than this on the sticker. And that's a big difference. That's wow. So that, that's a big difference. Yeah. So keep it, Mazda keep in is mind. pricing, you, like you said, very aggressive. You, you go to a Mitsubishi dealer, and the chances of you paying sticker, you know, uh, it, it are pretty low. You're probably going to get a pretty hefty discount on anything you buy from Mitsubishi. So you know, you could probably get this for less than the price of a CX30 out the door. But you know, having a sticker price that high on this thing. And, you know, this one was loaded and it doesn't even, you can't even get some of the features that you can get on that Mazda. You can't get things like adaptive cruise control, heads up display, you know, and, and a bunch of other features. So, you know, for the same price as this, you could get a Mazda with a lot more stuff on it. And the Mazda is a lot nicer to drive and has a vastly better interior. It's a much nicer place to spend and time. And you're going to get better appreciation. Less better, depreciation, better- yeah. Yes, less depreciation as well. It's going to be worth right. more in the end. I yeah, I think that's the biggest struggle that I have with Mitsubishi. That that kind of price range is that, as you say, in isolation, it's fine. But when you look at the really good vehicles that are in that competitive set, it, it, that's it's just got to be. So you got to do better on pricing. But to be fair, okay. So you have the two point four GT, which is like that's the top of the line of the the Outlander sport uh-huh. um so if you wanted to try one of the mid-level ones to to say let's compare mid-levels you know m- mid-level compact crossovers not necessarily just the, the mazda um you know the price drops down with the the 2.0 se you're down to like just shy of 26 so 25 795 right but again um, for the, you know, at the that, at that so, price point you can get the cx30 select that has more stuff on it right I I don't disagree. I mean, if, you're, if you're comparing, um, if you're comparing as close as you can get to apples to apples, 
you know, with this versus the CX-30. Or, for that matter, a lot of the other vehicles in this or, segment. Or a CRV. Or an, like, H- or or an HRV. Or, yeah. yeah, you know, or, yeah. I mean, these or, are these are, yeah, these are smaller <laughs> than the CRV and, and RAV4. So it's, okay. it's a, oh, so like an HRV. Yeah, okay. it's 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 in the HR. It's the same size as an HRV or CX thirty. Um, so you know, for the for the price, you know, at, at any given price point, you're going to get more equipment in the competitive set. You know, more stuff is going to be standard. You know, and they're generally going to have a nicer interior. You know, they're you know more pleasant to more pleasant place to spend time than the CX thirty, which is, or, or rather than the the Outlander Sport. Which is, you know, unfortunate. Now, as I said, chances are you go into a Mitsubishi dealer, you're going to be able to haggle down a pretty hefty discount on one of these things. You're probably, you know, unless unless you're going in and just saying, you know, here's my here's my credit card, you know, charge it or whatever. You know, there if if you if you make any effort at all, you you're probably going to get a lot lower price than that this out the door. So you know. Take that for for what it's worth. But don't you think that's the case on a lot of these vehicles, though? Mm, I mean, that's not the thing. Necessarily, is that not all, not not all of them, but there is some discounting yeah. that goes on. But my, and my again, guess is the discounting again, the is going to be heavier at a Mitsubishi dealer than it's going to be at a Honda or a Mazda dealer. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh for sure, it will be. But then, but then I also look at you know something like the Kia Soul, you know, or something from Hyundai. That's the thing is that there's there's so much competition in this segment that it's just, it's, it's tough to, to say to somebody, yes, you should definitely go after that Mitsubishi. Right. And, and the other thing is, you know, if what you're looking for, you know, if, if your priority is value and getting a, a really low price and getting a good vehicle for a low price, the other thing you have to keep in mind is that there are now a bunch of vehicles that are in the market or coming into market in the next few months that, you know, are in the same size class that, you know, kind of have some of the same level of cheapness, if you will, as the Mitsubishi, but are actually a lot nicer in a lot of ways, like the Honda, the Hyundai Venue and the Nissan Kicks, you know, that you can get those for, you know, yeah. for under 20 grand. And, you know, they are frankly, I think, nicer than this Mitsubishi. Well, and then, of course, you bring in the whole used yeah. car market as There's well. that too. You know, and what can you get in a two or three year old vehicle for that twenty five? On the other hand, one thing Mitsubishi does have is they actually offer a really good warranty on their vehicles. So this one, okay. uh, you know, it's got five years, sixty thousand mile bumper to bumper warranty, ten years, hundred thousand miles on the powertrain, five years unlimited mileage roadside assistance. So that's actually quite. A, is that similar to Hyundai? Uh, I think that's actually better than Hyundai now. Uh, well, I think it's the same powertrain okay. warranty, same ten-year powertrain warranty. Yeah, same powertrain. I think powertrain the, the bumper-to-bumper sure, warranty. I, I think yeah. uh, I think Hyundai is still at three years, thirty-six thousand miles, which is pretty much the industry mm. standard these days. So mm-hmm. you you actually do get a really good warranty on this. So you know if you have any issues, you know it'll be covered for a, a longer period of time. There are reasons to buy a new car, and sometimes that new car. Becomes a Mitsubishi. Like yeah. <laughs> there, there are practical reasons for it. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, getting a, getting a warranty is you know having a warranty on a new car is one of the real benefits of buying a new car versus buying a used car. And you know because the the warranty is as long as it is on this, I'm not sure what Mitsubishi's policies are on you know warranty transfer. Uh, you know when you sell it, but you know if you were to buy you know a two or three year old Outlander Sport, you know used one. 
you know, you'd potentially still have several years of warranty coverage, you know, bumper to bumper warranty coverage on that thing, which is, you know, that's not, you know, not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. No, that's not trivial yeah. for sure. So how did you, um, the other thing that's new for uh, this car this year is the, um, I think every, <laughs> every model year Mitsubishi brings out a tweaked, um, uh, audio and display, like an input tweaked infotainment system. Uh, and so this year is no different. There's a new eight inch, um, they call it the smartphone link display audio with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, whatever. So it, it has a couple of knobs. It has a new, new touchscreen interface or new, 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 uh, UI. Uh, how did that work? It's, Was it's it, fine. You know, it's, it's a simple yeah. interface and you turn it on, you've got five icons on the screen, one of which, you know, because there's no nav available on this. Um, you know, if you want nav, you have to use your phone, uh, which is actually probably as, as good or better than most, you know, built in nav systems anyway. Um, so you've got Android Auto and CarPlay support. You know, if you want to listen to basically the the only reason you would use the the stock infotainment is if you wanted to listen to radio, terrestrial radio. So if you want to listen to Sirius XM or listen to your local radio stations, you'd use that. Other than that, there's not really anything else. You know, the you've got knobs, proper knobs for the climate control, which is always a good thing. Uh, you've got knob rotary knobs for volume and tuning, always a good thing. And, you know, then if you want to use, um, you know, Android Auto or CarPlay, uh, you have the touchscreen. You see, I keep coming back to as much as we complain that it's, you know, sort of the bottom of the class, right? And it's old hardware. Uh, it doesn't drive badly. It drives, you know, Ryzen handles pretty well. It's pretty composed. Um, there's there, there are some flaws, like you talked about that CVT. Uh, but but even that is mitigated by the, the improved NVH. So it's not, not right. that big a deal. The ergonomics are good. It definitely feels old, you know, just the sort of the the being in it and the quality of the materials and stuff and just the the packaging. Uh, you know, it, it's not it's not the newest, most clever, most space efficient platform. Um, but would take it on uh, as a whole, on its merits, price aside, it's not the worst thing ever. No, it's not. It's not terrible. I didn't hate it. Um. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they're making improvements. And I think that's important, too, is that if they're paying attention to feedback on things like NVH, I mean, that was, you know, I when I had it, I recall, you know, I hit a bump and I really thought my teeth were going to fall out. And, you know, so pay attention to that kind of stuff, you know, soften some of that, uh, put some more insulation in like, you know, if they're they're continuing to try to improve their product. And that's, yeah, I mean, and, hey, and, that's and what the, Chrysler does. Look at look at the yeah. look at the Charger. Look at the Challenger. Yeah. They those things are ancient, and they, they just serve a totally a different purpose, though. And there's not a lot of competition yeah. for them. <laughs> no, 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 they do, but the the method of keeping those things. Well, yeah, they do feeling, special editions. Yeah. And you know, all in, sorts in, of in, stuff. In, in the absence of you know really new vehicles and new platforms, you know, which hopefully should be coming in the next couple of years from Mitsubishi as they start to. Um, utilize some of the hardware from the Renault Nissan Alliance, at least as long as that survives. Um, you know, they you know they have at least done a decent job of upgrading this thing. And like I said, it's not a terrible vehicle. It's a it's a decent vehicle. the 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 biggest issue I have with it at this point is that at least uh, based on sticker price, is the the value proposition is just not there now. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I think it, and it's it's fair to say that uh, the competition has gotten a lot stiffer, 
and this vehicle is aged in the market and there, there is a replacement coming but in the meantime you know they're, they're, they've got to follow the the same the same playbook the amc followed when they you know like they had hornets and they were like you know what we don't have a new car how do we make this new you, you, you make the, style, you you make the eagle luxury. that's not really aspirational yeah. though <laughs> Oh, now they are. Yeah, now they are. But the other thing too, I would be concerned about with Mitsubishi is just uh, the dealer network. Yeah, that is that's another. Um, I think that that's an issue. That and that, that may actually be both the yin and the yang of why you would buy one or why you would avoid buying one. Is just you know what dealer is close to you and are they willing to to deal with you and right. how do they treat you? Volkswagen is uh, cranking up plans for uh, EVs. Are they? Are they nervous? Are they looking for redemption after they continue to cheat with diesels for so long? What's the what's the scoop on that? Probably some of both. Um, you know, they previously their their previously announced plan was that they wanted to be selling uh, one million uh, EVs a year by 2025, and they have now pulled that ahead to 2023, uh, which will be interesting to see if they can actually sell that many EVs That's- a year kind of crazy can they make that many um that well yeah i mean they, they should be able to by then uh you know they'll have uh by 20 by middle of next year they'll have three plants two in germany plus one in china building meb platform vehicles uh, yeah you know and uh i think what was the number i think for next year um they were planning to be up to like 250,000 by the end of next year they'll be at a 250,000 unit run rate annual run rate um, and you know, they want to grow that to one and a half or to a million by 2023 and one and a half million now by 2025. And that's just the ID badged, uh, EVs. Um, that doesn't include, you know, the stuff from the other brands from, you know, so if you, yeah, if you add in you, Audi, it's, it's like Skoda Audi or and Porsche and, you know, everything yeah. else, you know, they could you know at least if they're you know if, if everything pans out they could conceivably be you know doing a couple of million evs a year uh, i get the sense that they're completely out of their minds that's not entirely <laughs> that's, beyond the realm of possibility that's a very aggressive plan and there's also just the the demand part of this equation which i realize is different in places like china where it's just shoved onto the market but just because you just because you build it doesn't mean they will come. Yeah, well, well, uh, it's- I, yeah. So Volkswagen is very good at, at sort of you know platform engineering and and you know getting cars produced. That we're not talking about you know a beginner here. They're they're they. I I believe they can do it. It just yeah. Where's the where's the demand? Because even you know the China car market is sort of lagging now, and Volkswagen's not really a big player in China, right? They're they're oh uh, no, they're actually, yeah, China. they they are they yeah, are, they are, they are the biggest in China. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. They, no, the their China the China market is is very very good for for Volkswagen. It's just again the. I mean, that just seems like an awful lot because so the Chinese market is like twenty million units, uh, and it's I don't 20, know how many of that. This year. 23, I'm sorry. 23 or 24 this year. 23, 24. Okay. So that's still, you know, you still got to get a, a, a hefty percentage of that to be EVs. And again, it's different because they do have mandates and it's a communist country and everything is just shoved onto the consumer there. It's an authoritarian um, but, country. I don't, I don't know that I'd necessarily call it communist in the. Oh, okay. In, in, Socialist. In, I'm sorry. No, authoritarian. What did you? 
Authoritarian. 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 Yes. Um, but there, there's very strict mandates. There are, and you know, they're, you know, the the Chinese uh, authorities are doing a lot of things, like for example, putting heavy restrictions on how many license plates they will issue for gasoline engine vehicles, you know, or internal yes. combustion vehicles in a lot of the major cities. So, you know, if if you want to get a car, you know, if you're not like one of the first hundred thousand in Beijing. You know, or whatever the number is, I think it might even be less than that now. Um, you're just not even going to be able to get a license plate and drive it in Beijing, and so you'll have to go for something electrified. And you know, they have, you know, the China has significantly cut back their tax incentives for buying EVs this year. Uh, since the middle of this year, uh, you know, they eliminated the incentive on the lower priced, car- the shorter range cars. And they've slashed the incentive uh, for the the longer range cars, uh, those with at least 250 kilometers, so about 140, 150 miles of range, uh, in half. So it's you know, and it's going to go away completely by 2021. So it you know it's going to be more challenging for people to buy anything uh, in China in the next couple of years. But that said, you know um, you know the European market is expected to get a lot stronger for EVs in the next few years. You know, starting in 2020, they are, you know, um, the CO2 regulations are getting a lot tougher and manufacturers are going to have to sell a lot more plug-in vehicles in order to hit their CO2 targets. So, yeah, let's be clear too. Like when they say that they're going to sell this many Electric cars, it's the IDs, right? So these are full electric. These are full battery so electric. Like electrified. Right. Yeah. These are full battery electric vehicles. And the ID badged vehicles are the ones on the MEB platform. Okay. So the, I still think they're bonkers. Yeah. Well, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it and sells the fir- a lot. The fir- yeah. It's a big percentage. Yeah. And, and the first, the first vehicle off that platform is the ID three, which is, you know, it's a golf sized hatchback. Um, and they started production of that at their plant in Zuckau, Germany, um, about a month, month and a half ago. And they've already built 10,000 of these, but they have not delivered any of them to customers. They've been renting parking lots to store these things um, because apparently Volkswagen has had some significant software problems with this thing. So they're not actually delivering them yet. And um, before any of these vehicles go to customers, they are going to have to get you know, a full software update. And they, that's going to take probably another couple of months. And by the time they have the software update ready, they will have built at least another 10,000 vehicles. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're, they've got a real challenge with this. You know, it now looks like they're not going to start delivering these to customers, even though they're building them. They're not actually going to start deliveries to customers until closer to next summer. Uh, by the time they get all these cars updated and, and fixed um, and, and then they're ready, ready to go. It's significant that they've moved the timeline to be even more aggressive. Well, you know, the, the thing the thing you also have to keep in mind is, you know, a lot of places in Europe are, you know, seriously looking at, you know, they, they're seriously talking about, you know, banning internal combustion engine vehicles. You know, sale, like Sweden, oh, like Sweden you know, is now looking at banning sales of new internal combustion vehicles by 2025. You know, uh, Norway, you know, is doing the same thing. Um Denmark, the Netherlands, you know, they're all looking at bans on sales of new ICEs. And then even, you know, in other countries, you know, places like Paris, you know, are looking at banning 
ICE vehicles from, you know, from the inner cities, um, you know, sometime in the 2020s. So, you know, they, they've already put, put in bans on older diesel vehicles and they're, they, they want to potentially ban the ICEs entirely from places like, you know, central Paris, you know, sometime in, in the coming decade, um, you know, and most, you know, most of Europe is looking at, you know, eliminating internal combustion engine vehicles by 2040 at the latest, if not, you know, by 2030. So, you know, it may, it may just end up being the only option for a lot of customers in, in Europe. Yeah, but there's always used that. cars too. Um, well, yeah, but, I mean, but the, the thing is, you know, if you've got cities that like Paris that are looking at banning ICEs, even if right. you have a used car or if you have an old car, you won't be able to drive it into the city. It just but won't that, be allowed. The, that is so, I mean, it's, it's just the, the, the onus that that puts on the consumer in terms of saying you have to buy a new car and it has to be well, electric. Not, not necessarily. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to buy well, a new they, EV, but, but it means you can't drive an ICE. Which you know, I mean, that could push yeah, a lot of people to using that, public transit. I mean, transit. that translates into no. I mean, you the, could just the end result you could is just, that you have to buy a new or not, used not necessarily. EV you just maybe you don't buy a car transit. at all. You buy it yeah. using well, public yeah, transit. Yeah, but that's not always practical, though. Either it, it's well, a lot Paris, more practical in is, Europe though. than it is and here. It depends on where you live and work. Well, I mean, yeah. a lot of people in in Europe, you know, live you know in cities. They they live in places where they have access to to a really good public transit system. I mean, that's that's clearly I, not yeah. true in this country, but it is in Europe. Yeah, yeah no, I realize I, that, but it's still it still is a is a significant. I still feel like it's a significant burden. Yeah, I mean, it's well, not, you know, not going to be France easy. France is a bunch of like they're socialist cheese eating surrender monkeys. Uh, uh, don't don't. <laughs> Don't let Marine Le Pen hear you say that. Uh, yeah, or Boris I'm, Johnson. I'm kidding. You know, um, I, I'm I'm being a, a, a flip, but I, I do think you know, Rebecca, you make a really good point. Like that that kind of thing, like congestion charges, even and uh, keeping cars out of the city core, uh, it, it's going to to be on the scale. It's going to be a change here in the U.S. on the scale of like urban renewal projects where there's going to be pain and somebody's going to have to pay for it. And in the past, we've seen that the people that pay for it are not the wealthy. Yeah. Um, exactly. But we have, we have arranged our cities and uh, um, to be very car centric. We have in the U S yes. Yes. And, and we have sort of set in place an ironclad will to just continue to create sprawl because, you know, cities are urban cores are, are dense and they're efficient. And, uh, you know, when you add transit to it, like that's the best way to, to, to house people, to move them around and you create communities. And for whatever reason, people are trained to not like cities. So we want to be in the suburbs. And so we build houses on large lots where we cut down the trees and stuff. And then you've, you create, you know, we've, so we've created this large sprawl problem. The, the fix to that is like, it's either regulatory or, you know, uh, customer opinion and probably a mix of, of the two. And I, I think that that's, everybody's kind of dealing with it differently. And so in Europe, they are, they're, they're like, you know, I, I see what they're, they're attempting and then they seem to have some success. London seems to have, have been pretty successful with their congestion charges, right? And, and keeping cars out of the core. Yeah, they, they, they have actually been pretty successful 
with it for I, sure. I, I liked that part of Times Square where there's no cars. That's great. I know. I know. Well, I, so this is the thing is that, you know, I think it's it's a little ridiculous to have a car in Manhattan. At the same time, the people that I do know that have cars in Manhattan, a number of them have children that have activities outside the city and not like far outside the city, but just like even in Brooklyn or in the Bronx or they'll, you know, in Bronxville, like they'll go, you know, they'll have to go to an outer borough in Queens for some kind of a soccer match or something like that. And that's what I have found in Paris as well, is that the people that I know that live in Paris that have a car, it's that kind of family thing. And and what's ironic about it is that, you know, we want to try and encourage people to live in the city and yet, you know, for live in the city longer. And yet as soon as you start thinking about children and those activities, it's much harder to do those kinds of things and and to keep and to fulfill their activities and not have a vehicle. And so then oh, yeah, you they're, then they're go hostile, then yeah. you tend to go out of the city then. You well, know, it's so expensive it's, too. Like I would take transit, but you know, transit for me is super long. It's it's 300 something bucks a month. <laughs> and it's drive, super like, long. It takes a long yeah. time. Well, and Boston it, it always is, breaks. Yeah, so. Boston is a good example of where it's you know, I tried to not have, I tried to not drive my car sometimes and it just wasn't practical. In um, San Francisco, I almost never drove my car. I could get around with no problem whatsoever. And so, you know, it's, it's again, like, I mean, I was, I was in my late twenties before I even drove in Manhattan once. And cause you just don't need to, but again, I think that it's very different if you have a family. And so as we try to encourage, you know, it's just it's just hard to the idea that banning, you know, banning something that millions of people still use and saying, you know, you can't use that anymore without a sufficient and comparable uh alternative you know i i had to laugh and this may get too political i don't mean to but that um greta who you know the teenager Mm -hmm. they you know she was getting all sorts of praise for sailing to some meetings it took her three weeks i'm like are you kidding me who has three weeks to sail to a meeting (laughs) like i think i appreciate what she's trying to do but the idea that that's that that should be praised i think is a little ridiculous and unrealistic i would love to use that as an excuse though like i can't attend your meeting uh i'm on a sailboat exactly um, it's like the t-pain defense like i'm on a boat uh so i think yeah. we need to look and say you know what what are some viable transportation alternatives if we're going in this direction of uh you know and and i'm talking about europe as well you know, of banning internal combustion engine vehicles, I, you know, what, what I have always advocated for is, uh, I'm certainly not against EVs at all. I was on the barriers to electric vehicle deployment committee. I, it's more that if we make the most fuel efficient versions of what people want, already want to buy. And I think we've seen that with vehicles like the Ford F-150 V6 engine, you know, people are willing to buy that. Uh, you just you give them a very a highly fuel efficient alternative. The Ram fifteen hundred we just talked about that e torque that was really transparent to me and definitely transparent to my brother. It, it, those are those are kinds of those are the types of technologies and efficiencies that give us a product that we still want, and yet at the same time are more fuel efficient, cleaner, give us a, that better emissions 
you know, an, an environmental, positive environmental impact. I, I Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think what we don't solve, and we're not going to solve it here either, <laughs> is uh, regardless of how it's propelled, you've still got a car. And a, a single occupant automobile, you know, taking up that amount of footprint, whether it's an EV or whether it's internal combustion or whether it's a hybrid, it's you still got gridlock. And so sure. solving the gridlock, I think like that's and, a separate and that's, problem. And you know, that's NASA. a big part of the, the move away from cars, you know, or, or individually operated vehicles. And, you know, that there's you know a lot of things that fall into that. That's part of what's driving all this. You know, they 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 want to move people into shared transportation options. So you don't have so many cars, you know, on, or so many vehicles on the road, clogging the roads. And, you know, right now in this country, there's seven parking spaces for every car that we have, you know, I mean, that's ridiculous. it is, it's insane. You know, <laughs> it and is, and, like, and but- if you look at a look at a lot of, you know, the average uh, urban center in the United States, about 20, 25 to 30% of the landmass on average is dedicated to parking cars. Now, that's, that's you know, even more ridiculous. When, when you, it's asphalt when, instead of grass or trees or, or housing. You know, I mean, you look, paradise look, and put in a parking look, lot. Look at a place like, you know, you go back to San Francisco. <laughs> Johnny Mitchell show. You know, the, the cost of housing in San Francisco is so insanely high, in part because of limited supply. You know, and a big part of that is, you know, I mean, obviously, it's a landlocked city, so it can't expand outwards, uh, but it can expand upwards. And that's something that has started to change in the last few years. But, you know, also, you know, the amount of space that's dedicated to parking cars, you know, if you could reduce that, you know, you could potentially have space for more people to live there and, you know, be able, you know, and if you have transportation options, good transportation options that aren't cars, then, you know, those people can get around and do the activities that they want to do. And, yeah, and and San Francisco. Remember, when you've got the proletariat living in town, guess what they do? They pay taxes, which your big giant tech companies don't. <laughs> right. But the other thing too, like, but look at look at the failure of Ford Chariot. Like that's those are the kinds of of transportation alternatives that they're talking about, and yet it failed because people don't want to people don't want to carpool with other people. The Chariot was a fancy bus. It's yeah. a fancy name for a bus. Well, it's it's a, it's a small bus. It, well, it's a small bus and it's an expensive option compared to riding, you know, the, you know, the Muni in San Francisco. It was significantly more expensive and, sure. you know, people, you know, didn't, it didn't, they didn't feel it was worth the cost. And so there wasn't enough demand for it. In principle, I think, you know, what they were trying to do was probably directionally correct, but, um, you know, it's not economically viable yet at this point. And I think we're going to see options like chariot, you know, these micro transit solutions start to come back around, but you know, they need to go back and refine, refine it in order to make it economically viable. Well, I don't, I don't know that we've seen a significant increase in carpooling though, for instance. Uh, No, we haven't, you know, I mean, all, all of these, at least here in the United States, we definitely haven't. You know, the the only thing we've seen a significant increase in over the last decade is use of ride hailing, which is essentially taxis, you know, and well, and the scooters and the and the e-bikes. Yeah, but even like, so even e-bikes, e- even, you know. even that, you know, is a tiny percentage of the, the total trips and the total miles traveled. Uh, for sure. You know? Absolutely. And, and, it, and for that is. matter, even uh, even ride hailing, you know, is still a tiny percentage of all trips. Uh, you know, it's right. obviously a significantly larger percentage in 
you know, a lot of these urban centers. Um, but overall of total trips, you know, it's a, you know, it's far less than 2% of total trips. Well, and it's not a reasonable commute, commuting alternative. No, it's, it's and that's far, really it's far what too, we have to. It's far too costly right, for people to use as a commute, as an alternative to commuting. Exactly. So that's a big thing too, is how do we get people from work, from home to work effectively and efficiently? Yeah. You, you know, know, and that's. A good economic crash is going to take care of all of this. <laughs> it's going to unleash the creativity of the common man. The wealthy are still going to prance around in their very expensive chariots, and that's fine. They're they're always going to be in their expensive cars. We rarely prance, you know. Or <laughs> I do not prance. <laughs> um, but they're going to, you I'm know, far too they, ungainly it, to prance. Just, <laughs> once, once we wind up in another depression, you're going to see everybody pull together, and uh, you know the the real creativity is going to come out, and and we will solve that problem for you. Right. Because in, in, in the meantime, we're just going to have to get stuff done. In, in, in the meantime, there there is one other story here related to Volkswagen, you know, and and trying to figure out how they're going to sell all these EVs. Oh, yeah, this was really interesting. The the portable chargers. Right. So, you know, we uh earlier this summer I talked about, you know, when I was out in San Jose, I was driving an EV uh for a few days and the challenge of finding charging, you know, or getting access to charging because, you know, you had EV drivers that were parked at, you know, in front of chargers but not actually using the chargers and, you know, blocking them when those of us who actually needed some electricity uh, needed to use them. Um, what Volkswagen has come up with here is a, a mobile charging solution for parking garages and, and parking lots, um, which, you know, instead of having dedicated spaces for EV charging, what they have, they basically have like one space for EV charging uh, and uh, for, for these mobile chargers. And you can park anywhere you want. Then when you get out of the car, you park your car, you use the app to say, I need to be charged. And so they have this little tug that, um, you know, they have a bunch of batteries that are sitting there plugged in, getting topped up, uh, that are on wheels. And this little tug will go and grab one of these things, autonomously drive around the parking lot, find your car, plug it, plug the battery in. And then the tug lets go of the battery, goes back and gets another one, takes it off to somebody else's EV. So wherever you are, you know, it, it brings the battery to you to charge your car. And then when it's done, it takes it away. And so you don't have to have dedicated parking spaces. You don't have to wire up the whole garage for parking, you know, for charging EVs. Uh, and you know, it's, it's one, it's another one of these steps in reducing the friction in owning an EV. I love everything about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really smart solution. And I, I, I love that they're, they're tackling that sort of end to end, uh infrastructure really infrastructure question um and and the, the fact that it's sort of this mobile robot that doesn't require a person brings the cost down i we'll we'll see how effective it actually is i'm sure there'll be some teething pains but um they've they've thought about it yeah you and, know, other than just and and you know there's other companies working on various mobile charging solutions like you just dropped a uh, link in slack to uh, uh sparkcharge.io which is another one um, you know, and, and there have been various others uh, over the years. And, and I think we're going to see more of this as, as there are more EVs out there. Uh, you're going to see other, you know, Volkswagen also uh, showed off a, a concept or announced something that they were working on a few months ago, um, you know, with a larger battery solution that, you know, could go on a truck, you know, and if you're parked on the street somewhere, you know, it could 
bring it out and charge you there as well. So there's, there's a lot of different solutions to this. Well, and it solves so many of the issues that we have, not only that you have already experienced, Sam, but the infrastructure problem, Mm -hmm. the, you know, how do you get these things in the right places to where they need to go that those parking spaces that we just talked about, you know, like you see them all and sometimes there's a big long line and sometimes there's they're absolutely empty. And so the efficiency and the usage and the utilization rates would just be a completely it's a completely different equation. You also don't have to get municipalities as involved. Also, you know, this solves that issue of the multifamily, um, the, the multifamily dwelling yeah. problem. Exactly. You know, that is that is so prevalent. And so I think this is absolutely, absolutely genius. I love this. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully it's, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, hopefully we'll see this in, the, you know, uh, in, in action in within the next couple of years. Well, and if they've made it easy enough to get the energy back in the cars, then they can make the adoption of the cars a little easier, a little bit more. Uh, well, a little, little bit freer. So. It takes away one of those significant barriers and that feeling of unknown, right? That right. uncertainty that so many people have with EVs. I'm sure we'll see something like this at CES as well. And oh, some yeah. Advanced and, ones coming and, up. And, you know, the, the whole this whole area of reducing friction for EV ownership is something that a lot of automakers are, are work, working on. You know, this is one of the things that, uh, you know, Ford, uh, for example, with, at the launch of the Mach-E talked about with what they're doing with Ford Pass with aggregating multiple charging networks. So you don't have to have accounts with ChargePoint and EVgo and, and Electrify America and, and Blink and everybody else. You know, you can have one interface and you just go to an open charger, you plug in and, you know, you get charged for it. Um, and, you know, other companies are, you know, involved in actually investing in the, uh, in the charging networks. So, you know, everybody's trying to, trying to fix this problem. You know, it's something that Tesla, you know, obviously was very early on with the supercharger network. Um, and they've done a great job with that. You know, now, you know, we need networks that can, you know, need to eliminate this friction for everybody else that, that isn't Tesla. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a good example is look at ATM, uh, networks, right? Like you could go across the country and there may be a different sort of ATM network, but your card from the East coast is going to work on the West coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some national ones as well. And they all, they all figure it out and there's fees that get sort of passed along and you know that you might get charged to use it, but, uh, you can still use yeah, it. Or cell phone, <laughs> cell phone roaming is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they'll figure it out eventually. Yep. You know, you mentioned Tesla, uh, we, uh, had a few, well, I guess y- you two, uh, and Rebecca brought it up that, uh, you guys have had some questions about, uh, the model three deliveries in China that are starting to happen. Yes. So they're starting, I think on Monday, uh, January, I'm sorry, December 30th, that they're delivering like 30, I think it was, 15. uh, oh, I, that was 15 to customer, 15 to customers and 15 to employees. I think I, I think those other I think article, those fifteen customers are probably employees or employees. or friends of Tesla. <laughs> yes, definitely people that are going to be tolerant. Yeah, people who aren't going to complain about having. getting a pre-production car. Yeah, exactly. So I all Teslas were essentially pre-production cars. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do this tonight. <laughs> My Fair, so people are excited for Monday. Fair. There, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, so. Yeah, so- I, I guess I I hadn't been paying as close attention. Like they got their their um, 
their production facility up and running pretty quickly. They and did. Is they, it like have they are these these are are these validation cars or are they? Um, like I think full production. I, I think what they're what they are actually are is complete knockdown kits that they are shipping over from Fremont. Oh, well that makes it easier to get the line going. <laughs> yeah. So they're, you know, they're sending over, you know, body shells and battery packs and motors and a bunch of other stuff and they're just doing the final assembly there. But they do call them MICs made in China yeah, well, Model 3s. I mean, yeah. as final assembly. Yeah. They're just not you making think it any parts. Someone understand like get and get make improvements at uh, manufacturing that they've added another facility and they've they've, they've got to figure it out again. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if they if they end up implementing the same processes that they did in uh, you know in Fremont, then you know they That's, they're probably going to yeah. have the same kinds of problems. I I, okay. I I you know I would be skeptical until I see them make actual real progress on that. Full sales aren't go- aren't going to be until <laughs> they're like June. I think they're targeting full sales, so. Yeah, it's just it's just the start. It's the trickle. It always okay. starts with one small flake. <laughs> well, and, you know, Tesla has uh, and there's plenty of flakes in the in Tesla China? community. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that may have been a bad example. <laughs> it's keep on coming. Um, what's their reputation like in China? Are they uh, because they have a honestly, they have a good reputation here in the U.S. Well, um, it's all about potential. Right. That's what that's what Tesla's all about. I mean, the potential in China is enormous, as we talked about earlier. It's, you know, the the 24 million person market. I mean, China has, you know, they've they have cities of seven and eight million people we've never even heard of. And so, you know, it's it's the potential is enormous. And that's what that's what Tesla's stock valuation is based off of. So everything in Tesla is based off of its potential. So so far, Tesla's sales in China have not been enormous, you know, relative to the market size there. You know, they're, they are vastly outsold by local uh, domestic Chinese brands, particularly well, it's, BYD. Well, yes. that, yeah. it's interesting because I did bring that up in my NPR uh, piece earlier today that I had to record about that there's so much more domestic competition that Tesla doesn't necessarily face uh, here in the States, but they certainly would face that in China. How but are they I still managing think the that... IP issue as well? Like, um, you know, China has this reputation of being a place where IP theft happens a lot, and Tesla has a lot of proprietary IP. Well, so far, as I said, they're just shipping it over from the U.S. They're not actually making stuff there. And, you know, to be honest, you know, aside from their motors and their power electronics and the software, you know, um, you know most of the rest of what they're doing is not really that that innovative, you know, uh, there's nothing about their production processes that is particularly, you know, that anybody, I think anybody would want to steal, um, you know, <laughs> the, you know, the way they build body shells, you know, nothing, nothing particularly city, baby. Yeah. But yeah. you know, the, the motor, you know, the motor designs, you know, fact is, you know, anybody can buy and go and buy a Tesla and tear it down or just buy the, the Monroe and associates tear down report and you'll get all the information. If you want to steal their IP, that's, that's not that hard to do. The only, the most, the most important thing they've got probably is their, their control software. And, you know, again, you know, that's, uh, you know, just, just cause they're building the cars there doesn't, you know, they're not necessarily stealing any, you know, the, the, it's not going to be any 
more prone to being stolen than, you know, people just buying a car here and, and pulling the software out of it. Um, let's, let's hit some questions and then we'll call it a night. Uh, so, um, last week I did see one come in on Twitter when we put out the call. It was just, uh, what was our favorite, uh, automotive holiday gift? Um, anything stand out to either of you? Uh, uh, radar detector. Excellent. <laughs> I, I have not traditionally given, you know, automotive holiday gifts, but you know, if you're looking for something to throw on a stocking, um, definitely recommend, you know, a digital tire pressure gauge, you know, throw one of those in there, give, give one of those to everybody, you know, who's got a car, make sure they stick it in their glove box, um, and that they use it regularly. Yeah. You know, stuff from blip shift is always fun for the, for the enthusiast. Oh, that's, that's true. You know, some blip shift yeah. t-shirts. Yeah. One of my friends got me like a cargo holder thing that folded flat so that like, like it's kind of like a pop-up. Yeah. One of those um, black pop-up canvas things that then you, if you had groceries or something, you could pop it up and put the bags in there and they wouldn't slide around everywhere. That was very practical. Yep. Those, yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, something were very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, those, those are definitely handy. And, uh, you know, my wife's had those in the back of her cars. Um, you know, but I think the, those are the sorts of things that you usually, you know, you're not going to wait for the holidays for that. You're going to pick one up, you know, when you need it, I guess. Yeah. My, I mean, my, my, my thoughts and my picks are all super practical too. Like we're just practical people. I yeah. was like snow, winter tires, yeah. um, yeah. a small, <laughs> small tool set. Uh, you know, it's a, yeah, actually, you know, um, pieces. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for something to give around the holiday times, you know, uh, like a, you know, a, a, a nice compact blanket, you know, to put in the back of the car, you know, for, if you're, if you live in cold weather environments, you know, blanket, some flares, you know, emergency uh, kit, yeah, for an, sure. an emergency kit, you know, to, to have, you know, in case you get stuck. Um, and you know, uh, maybe, you know, extra, you know, a battery, you know, phone battery. To uh, uh, to keep your phone charged, you know, if you get stuck somewhere. What are what are some other questions, Sam? You said we had some uh, to our feedback at wheelbearings.media email. Yes. So uh, let's see. Uh, we had an email from uh, Sid Sid Polk. Um, he said, "I was sad you dissed my convertible," uh, referring to the uh, Sebring convertible. I don't even remember talking about the Sebring convertible. It sounds like something you would have dissed, Dan. I probably did. And, it's probably me. And, the Sebring convertible is not a good. Con- I mean, well, if you enjoy it, more power to you. Yeah, you know, I think if if you're referring to the last generation of the Sebring convertible from the like the mid 2000s, you know, from like about 2000, uh, what seven or so, 2008. Eight? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. The, the one that Scott was based- just basically lose his job over that. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, I did. did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Uh, you know, that one, that was the one that you could get as either a soft top or a retractable hard top. That one was bad. It it was, it was badly done. The 97, the the first generation Sebring convertible actually wasn't, wasn't a bad car, especially for the time. Oh, the JX was amazing. Yeah. That yeah. one, that one was actually pretty decent. So if, if you took offense, said, we're sorry, um, we didn't mean to offend you that, that particular generation of the Sebring convertible actually was a decent car. And that one was oh, around so, for like- a while. Let's not die on this hill. If you enjoy it, man, yeah. enjoy yeah. it. Don't, it's don't, it's a convertible. Don't, 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 don't listen to us. I mean, if if you yeah. like something, you know, whatever you like is great for you. You know, I mean, yeah. there's stuff that that I like that Dan doesn't like and Rebecca doesn't like, and that's too bad. I don't like anything. Yeah, well, <laughs> so okay. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, 
Rick uh, Thwiat uh, wrote in to tell us uh, he's been a longtime listener since the Autoblog days. He's the guy with the Suzuki Joy Pop K van. Ooh, yes, K, uh, the, the Japanese uh, K, K, K cars. That's yeah. These awesome. are the little 660 cc uh, vehicles, and uh, you know the the little these little tiny vans are just hysterical. If you if you ever visit Japan, seeing these things rolling around is is pretty amazing. So it sounds like he he brought one over. He's also got a 17 uh, Mazda 6 Grand Touring. And his wife drives a 17 CX-5 Grand Touring uh, that she bought on our recommendation. Well, uh, they sound like, sound like our kind of people. Yeah. Um, okay. William Charles uh, wrote in to let us know that he's got an Audi A7 TDI, uh, Porsche 911S, and a Sprinter 4x4 van RV conversion. Uh, and he's, he's in Florida. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. Okay. I bet the Sprinter gets the yeah. most use out of all of them. So uh, <laughs> this one's from uh, Vanessa Pinter. And uh, she, she's in Colorado, and she's a relatively new listener, uh, came to the show from uh, my appearances on uh, Leo Laporte's uh, Twit Network, his podcast network, and um, likes Rebecca's perspective. Um, and uh, she, she's Thank definitely- Thank you very much. Definitely- uh, I, I do as well. Yeah. I do, I do she's, too. Thank you very much. Particularly <laughs> like she, the perspective that she can identify with, which is uh, being of lesser physical stature. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those are my Again, words. Me too. Uh, he does some does have sometimes have trouble hearing Dan. Maybe y'all can buy him a new mic someday, or at least raise his volume a bunch. Um, oh, that's good. That's good to know. Okay. I, that's that's. So may, uh, I'll fix it in the mix. Yeah. That Thank is you. helpful. Yeah. Um, and um, let's see. She dri- drives a Prius. Uh, her husband has a Volt, and hope their next car will be a full EV. But really disappointed at how badly this 2014 Prius handles in general and drives in the snow. And maybe worse than my previous Prius, or maybe the snow is getting higher. Want an electric car big enough for two dogs and high enough to get over the darn piles of snow left at every side street by the plow. Well, yeah, well, that's that's a problem no matter Audi what e-tron? kind of car you drive. You know, the e-tron's not not that tall. Like, you know, for getting through those big piles of snow, like when the plows go by and you leave a big bank bank of snow at the end of your driveway. Yeah, I get uh, that. You know, that, you, that's where you need something like a Jeep. But um, let's see, what else? Or what about that Rivian? We didn't talk about the Rivian yeah. tank mode. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that thing's awesome. Yeah, that is. Th- those that things thing. are going to be pricey, the tank too, though. turn. Um, let's see. Yeah, they're going to be there. She's intrigued by these minivans, uh, but the gas mileage is appalling. Uh, well, if you're interested in minivans and you're, you don't want bad gas mileage, definitely take a look at the Pacifica, Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid. Uh, that For plug-in sure. hybrid, uh, you know, it's got fantastic mileage. Um, let's see. It's a nice van, too. It's um, I think if you're driving a Prius and, you, and a, a Prius and a Volt, um, if you get into that Pacifica it's it's going to feel a little bit more premium, right? I and think. you know that Prius is the previous, the 2014 is the previous generation Prius, which yes, it was not a good handling car. That old generation so, of Prius, the um, I'll go ahead. I'm the, sorry. the new one is is much better. Um, you know, for but you know for what what they're looking for for an EV, you know what you know what is there out there that would. You know, be I was going to say, isn't there a Rav Four that's uh, maybe not full EV, but there's definitely well, yeah, a there's hybrid. a Rav Four, there's a Rav Four hybrid. There's also a plug-in hybrid that's coming next summer. The Ford Escape uh, hybrid or plug-in hybrid is coming in the spring. So both of those are plug-ins. Um, you know, there's also a hybrid version of CRV coming uh, early in the year. So those are you know those are all options. You know, but you know if you if you really want to get through that darn pile of snow um, that left by the plow. Um, 
you know, the, you know, if you can, if you can afford it, you know, something like the Rivian or, um, you know, the upcoming, uh, Ford F-150 EV, uh, might be options for you there. Um, you know, the Rivian might, you know, if you're something like an SUV sounds like might be more up your alley. Um, and so that's, that's something to consider. I mean, those are going to start somewhere in the probably 60 to $70,000 range. So they're, they're not cheap. Um, but, uh, you know, as, you know, as four wheel drive utility, you know, electric vehicles go, that may be your, your best option in the near term. You know, if you're looking for something cheap, we were talking about Mitsubishi, you can get yourself an Outlander PHEV that, uh, would be really cheap <laughs> and you won't care about it rusting away to nothing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Cause you'll get your money out of it. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's not a terrible hybrid. I actually, I didn't mind it at all. So, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's not. Uh, it's quite interested in new electrics, but you probably look for a three-year-old something in a, in a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what about it, the Volvo XC90? Um, the XC90 plug-in is is pretty good. The you know the electric driving range is not enormous. You know, it's only like no. 14, 15 miles. But um, it has higher ground clearance, yeah. though. Yeah, it, it is good for that. And it's a beautiful vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but you know, I mean, if you're looking in that in that price range, you know, there's also other options there as well. Uh, you know, there's the Audi Q5 plug-in hybrid, the X5, um, the, X5 the BMW X5. Um, you know, there's Range Rover plug-in hybrids now. Um, yeah, so I, I don't oh, know. Jesus, there's a Range Rover plug-in hybrid. Yeah, that just seems like the worst idea ever. Yeah, uh, an electric Range Rover. Well, and you got electric Jaguars, fully electric Jaguars. I, yeah, I know. That's that's so. Oh, actually, and that that the the I pace actually might be a really good. The I pace, you know, the I pace, you know, the the range is actually getting better. Um, they, they've they've introduced a, a range improvement for that uh, that's coming for 2020. Uh, they've already launched it in Europe. Um, you know, there's also the the you know you, you mentioned the Audi e-tron, Rebecca, and there's the e-tron Sportback that's coming uh, next year. Mm, yeah, that um, looks cool. Uh, so I mean, there, in, within the next couple of years, there's actually going to be a lot more options available. Uh, so if you can hold off a bit, you know, that's pr- actually probably the best thing to do right now. And I think I'd like to to know a little bit more about like sort of where. Yeah, like what kind of what's your budget hit, range? Yeah, hit a, hit us back with um, what do you like? Uh, what do you need in a vehicle? What's your what's your price range? Yeah. That kind of thing. And one one final note here, uh, Vanessa says, uh, let Rebecca know that uh, she wishes your mother good health and best wishes, and condolences oh, on the situation. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. She's doing much better. Thank you. That's very we sweet. Have, we have the best listeners. We do. They're yeah. awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, podcast. Love the podcast. Even Dan really liking Rebecca's input. <laughs> I'm from California. I'm from Lincoln, California, and drive a 2016 BMW M235i and a Volvo XC40. Nice choices. Nice question. Those are good choices. Right now, SUVs are it. What body style will be the next it? Wagons, hatchbacks. Ah, uh, yeah, wagons or hatchbacks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think, great. I think wagons are going to mm. discreet hatchbacks. Do, do you think wagons will ever make a comeback? I hope so, but I um, doubt it. I think Rebecca's probably more right with the hatchbacks. Yeah. Uh, you know, being more discreet like that. So they, because it's so much easier now to go from everything has that swoopy roof line and you just, you just make the whole back of it open up and it becomes right. more practical. Wagons is a, a little bit more niche and weirdos like us like them, but I think that's a, it's a little harder sell, but you've got a whole generation that was reared in 
not only minivans, because you know, because people people my age uh, were sort of reared in minivans. A lot of people had minivans the first couple of generations, but um, SUVs. Absolutely. And so there's going to be that reaction that goes from SUVs to something else, and that that's coming. I don't I don't know. Well, I, th- I think we're I think we're starting to see some of that now with with like some of this new generation of crossovers that are kind of shifting back to being a little more car-like, you know, like the new Escape, the CX-30, you know, that are, you know, they have some of that extra height of utilities, but they're, they're getting more of the car type of characteristics than, uh, than utilities and crossovers have had for a while. Yeah. Um, and then one last one here from Abby Beckert, who we had responded to previously um, about uh, utes and trucks in Australia. Um, and uh, I want to make a couple of points here. Uh, car-based pickups are gone in Australia. So, you know, things like the, uh, the Holden utes and the, the Ford Falcon utes, uh, you know, like the, the El Camino style uh, pickups. Uh, those are no yeah. longer in production um, and uh, not available anywhere anymore. Uh, dual cab utes are the main market. This, these are, you know, crew cab pickup trucks, you know, and, uh, one of the, uh, you know, so this is like the, the, the midsize pickups, mostly, uh, you know, like the Tacomas and Rangers and that sort of thing. And Abby drives a diesel Nissan Navarro D40, which is, uh, basically the, uh, the Nissan frontier, um, but heavily modified for off-road with 33-inch tires, a suspension lift, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. Main vehicles are uh, my partner's Mazda 3 and a 250cc motorbike that they use for commuting. The Mazda is for camping and long trips, as in three months on the road. Or the Nissan is for camping and long trips, as in three months on the road. You mentioned renting a truck when you need one. We did the math on that. $21,000 to rent a truck for three months. So, yeah, I uh, <laughs> You know, when I think yeah, when, when well, we talked about rent, yeah, when, when we yeah, mentioned renting normal. a truck, you know, we were thinking of like a weekend, you know, or, yeah, exactly. you, know, you know, just a couple of days. You know, <laughs> if you need to tow your boat from your driveway to the lake and put it in the lake and then, you know, to do that again in the fall to take it out. If you're going to be driving it, driving a vehicle like this for an extended period of time, then, yeah, go ahead and buy one. You know, <laughs> that it makes no sense to rent it for three months. Um, That's and, not really what we were talking. Yeah, about. We're, we're talking short term. <laughs> You know, a couple of days, you know, a couple hundred bucks to rent one of these. Um, so thank you for all those. There were also a couple of things that came in on Twitter today. Um, uh, let's see, where is it here? Oh, Tim Martin uh, responded to uh, Dan's uh, call here. Uh, any thoughts on the pros and cons of a two-year-old plug-in hybrid versus a four-year-old Model S or Bolt? Uh, mainly looking at Clarity and Volt as options. So that's the Honda Clarity and the Chevy Volt. Typical usage of 10 miles uh, round trip commute with occasional 350 mile trip to family uh, budget of 25 to 30 K. So, you know, in, in that situation, you know, I don't know what you guys think, you know, if you're, if you're mainly, you know, if you're, if you got a 10 mile round trip commute, a plug in hybrid is actually a great option, you know, and then you don't have any hassle when you do have that long trip. Um, I like the plug in hybrid. what What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I like the plug-in hybrid a lot. I think that that two-year-old, I'd rather have him in uh, the two-year-old Honda Clarity because that's a really good technology and it's new and modern technology versus a four-year-old Tesla. But not because it's the Tesla, but just because the Clarity is, is new. And I've, you know, I remember driving it when it first came out and I, I, I like the Clarity a lot. I, um, 
I would never buy a used Tesla or a new one at this point <laughs> until they get their their production stuff. And it's not because I don't like the cars. Again, I'm, I'm impressed by the cars. I'm not impressed by their their reliability or durability. And some some have been very good. The Model S seems to have a lot of its quirks worked out. But I uh, I have pause with that. Like uh, you, that's that's a real commitment. On the other hand, you know, uh, I mean, if any other EV aside from a Tesla. Um, you know, like a, a bolt or a Nissan well, I was Leaf. Say, yeah, the bolt. Um, the bolt sounds fine to me. A Leaf, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the you know, if you were to get a three to four year old one of those, you know, particularly if the you know with the, with either the bolt, uh, and I would say a three year old Leaf, like the second generation Leaf, uh, you know, you can get some screaming deals on those because you know depreciation on EVs tends to be very high, uh. And so you can actually get a typically get a really good deal on a used one. And, you know, so those are actually a, a really good option. And, you know, as long as you get the, the second generation leaf, you know, with 150 mile range, um, you know, depending, you know, what, what I would do is, you know, take a look at what your charging options are on that 350 mile trip. Um, you know, if, if there are, um, you know, Chatamo chargers, or, you know, other DC fast chargers along the way um, so that you can make that trip, then, you know, that that might be actually the most economical option for you. Uh, otherwise, the, of, the plug-in might be the yeah. best option. What kind I was, was going to say, like, oh, go ahead. I, just, I wanted to know what kind of mileage degradation they can expect in in that range from a two- or three-year-old battery. Uh, in that, in that time, it should be pretty minimal, like probably no more than three or 4%. So, so that's a lot less than what it had been in the past. Yeah, no, they're the, the, the batteries are actually holding up pretty well. The, you know, the manufacturers have done a good job on trying to be fairly conservative with the use of the battery, you know, to, Mm. you know, to, to make, they're trying to guarantee the durability. And, okay. you know, these things, you know, they have, you know, eight year, hundred thousand mile warranties on them. Um, or, you know, if you're in California, it's a 10 year, 150,000 mile warranty, um, on the, on the battery. So, you know, they, they should hold up fairly well. And that's transferable. Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, if it's one car that's going to have to do that occasional three, if it's, it's a, 350 mile round trip to family. So it sounds like it's probably a consistent uh, route. So if you know what your charging is and you plan ahead um, and you want to go full EV, probably can. And of, of those options, like I think the Bolt is fine. Like we mentioned the Leaf. Um, I, I do like the Volt too, but I think the clarity is probably like you, uh, like you said, Rebecca, it's newer technology and it's, it's probably, um, I think it's probably a little roomier. Oh, the, 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 cl- the clarity is much roomier than oh, the Volt. for sure. It's yeah, a little so, harder on the eyes, but it's definitely yeah, much more not practical. Terrible. Yeah. I no, mean, it's terrible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it does look weird. It's it's like a weird cross between a '70s Buick and a Honda. Well, the tire and the 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 tire covers are really bad on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what? I I would I would drive that to uh, save fuel and um co2 emissions and stuff like like, whatever i'm old enough i don't care what i look like on the road so i can't see it anymore and i'm pretty sure Um, you're the youngest of the three of us so that's scary (laughs) i'm an old soul yes exactly dan Dan was born old (laughs) 
Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I'm growing into it. I got another 40 years before I finally hit my peak. <laughs> Um, okay, right. is that that's it? it for this week. I think we're we're at almost All two right, hours. So. so yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> so much are compact. <laughs> Always a it's goal. Okay. <laughs> um, this is what happens when we do them on weekends, right? Like we just we ramble. Yes. So you get the benefit of that, listeners. It covers two days worth of commuting. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, if you want to have us answer your questions or attempt to, you can uh, hit us. It's feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, we're on Twitter and all of the other places, so you know where to find us. And thanks for listening. See you next thanks time. And happy, happy New Year. Happy New Year.